0: Church. it's good to be with you today there's a lot of new faces here today some of you I got to meet some of you I didn't um, there's a lot of people I think that are sick too that are not here today um, which I'm glad they stayed home if they're sick but um, it's just good good to be together good to start the the new year together I don't know if you know this but uh, we're, we're almost done with exodus which is kind of crazy we've been in exodus for quite a while now we have uh, we have three more weeks, and then we 're going to jump into the the gospel of john, so i 'm excited that so excited about that. Uh, how many of you started the Bible read through this week? Yeah, awesome. I bumped into several people this week, and you talked to me about the read through and uh, just exciting that we 're doing this so many of us are doing this together, and it's uh, it 's even just added something for me to pray for 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 us as a church it 's changed my my prayer life um, for for harvest this week, so that 's been cool um, One of the things we read about this week was was the Tower of Babel uh, in Genesis. The people come together, and it says they wanted to make a name for themselves. Right? They they wanted to be someone. They wanted to make a name. And names are uh, are interesting. All of our names have have some kind of meaning behind them. Um, And I, I don't know if you know. How many of you know like the meaning of your name, or you've heard it before? Yeah. Why don't you take just a minute with people right next to you. And tell them, like, what do you think your name means, if you actually know? Or you can look it up on your phone real quick. I'm just giving you a minute, though, super fast. So share share what your name means. All right, you got to wrap it up. If you didn't get to share, I'm sorry. So uh, I had Alyssa, uh, the person that kind of runs the church for us, our office administrator. She looked up the different staff's names, and I thought I'd share with you some of the things that that she discovered. So Gary, uh, Pastor Gary, his name apparently means spear. Yeah? little scary, like working for Gary. I did not know this this whole time. It's a little scary. His name apparently was uh, popularized by the American actor named Gary Cooper, who I have to Google later because I have no clue. Um, Sorry. I know. Yeah. Thirty-eight. Um, all right. My name, Gregory, means uh, watchful or on the watch. It's uh, apparently derived from the Latin uh, Gregorius, meaning watchful, alert, uh, associated. And I, I didn't write all this like Alyssa did. So if suddenly, like I realized I just said two things about Gary. Alyssa wrote this. This is not my ego. Um, so, associated, associated with the Latin uh, word grex, meaning flock or herd. So, this association this is kind of interesting. This association uh, with the shepherd who dil- diligently guides uh, his flock contributed to the popularity among monks and popes. Apparently, 16 popes named Gregory. Pretty cool. Did not know that. So, if this doesn't work out for me. Put my name in the hat. Uh, Andrew, who's up here, did announcements for us earlier. He, he works with, with our, our high schoolers. This is no surprise. His name means manly or brave, <laughs> right? Not shocked at all. Strong man. Uh, and interestingly enough, he was the first uh, disciple chosen by Jesus. So that's cool, too. Patty. Patty's not... Oh, Patty's back there. Look at that. All right. So Patty's in the back. She works with our kids. Uh, her name in Aramaic and American. Both, I guess, means lady, I don't know what to do with that. Uh, in Latin, means noble. In German, means strength in battle. And I've never seen her in a battle, but I can imagine. Um, uh, Sherry's not here today. She's sick, but uh, apparently it's French for beloved. Uh, Alyssa, things get interesting here. Alyssa means a noble one, logical, both of those are true. Um, and then curing madness, apparently. So. Which is awesome. Like, I don't think we knew that when we hired her that she had that ability. But uh, interesting, Alyssa, growing up, somehow she, she was under the impression that her m- name meant something like one who tells truth. So she kind of felt like she needed to live up to that. So, so she tried to be really, really truthful. So I don't know if that was just awesome parenting uh, by Susan and, uh, and Carrie or, or what, but she thought that. So I'm going to tell my kids that their name means, like, one who vacuums well and... <laughs> Stuff, stuff like that. So uh, last week's passage, Moses, um, he asked to see God's glory, right? He, he wants to see God's glory. And, and, and Gary said, and Moses probably was thinking, he wanted physically to get to check out the, the glory of, of God. But then Gary told us that that God wasn't just going to show that He he was going to He was going to reveal who He is, and He does that. He proclaims His name, and He reveals what is behind that name. So we're going to get into that. Our passage today is uh, Exodus 34. 1 through 28, and I'm actually going to kind of skip around do things um, in, in reverse order here. Um, we're going to look at 10 through 26 first, and look at, at God renews the covenant here. He, he reestablishes the covenant that Israel's already broken after saying they were going to do everything that God commanded. Um, so we're going to look at that, and, and he lays out the commands, the, the ways that they're supposed to be obedient. He, he tells them what he's going to do, um, and he warns them. Uh, About what happens when they don't, and and if you've been with us, you'll you'll notice that the warning is is a lot harsher this time, based on um, what has just happened in in the story. Um, And then we're gonna we're going to go back up to verses one through nine, um, where Moses goes up the mountain, he meets with God, God reveals Himself, He proclaims His name to him. Um, and, and Moses' response is, is worship. Moses bows down and, and worships God. So I, I wonder, what is our response today? When, when we find out who God is, when we see who God is, how do we respond? Let's jump into verse 10. And I'm sorry, we only—oh, never mind, both are up. This is the second time that's happened to me. That's pretty funny. Uh, we're having problems with this uh, projector. Obviously, I'm glad to see it's up now, though. I won't apologize for it. Um, Verse 10. It says, And he said, Behold, I'm making a covenant before all the people. I will do marvels such as not have been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I will drive before you. I'll drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivitites, and the Jebusites. It's absolutely shocking that God would make this covenant with Israel. If you haven't been with us, um, Israel said, we're going to do everything that you've said to us. Every, everything that you said, God says, I'm, I'm going to be your God. You'll be my people. You need to do these things to follow me. Life is going to be good. And they said, we are all in. And And, and then within 40 days... They're, they make this idol. They're worshiping it, this crazy party. Um, they, they've totally turned their back on God in, in such a short, short time. So for him to come back and, and say, we're going to do this. We're, we're going to make this covenant. It, it's, it's an unbelievable sign of his grace, of his mercy. And later when we get to God proclaiming his name, we see that that's what this covenant is. It's, it's God's mercy and grace that, that drives this covenant. So God... Um, God tells Moses and, and thus Israel that I'm going to do marvelous things. Um, the same words that were, were used of the plagues in Egypt when, when God was going to bring these plagues uh, upon the Egyptians to, to ultimately free Israel. So what God was doing was he was driving out the people currently in the promised land, the land that God had promised to his own people. Um, and he would do that. He promised to do that as long as they would keep up their end of the covenant. So what what is... What is a covenant? Um, covenant involves a few things. Uh, promises, right? Promises of what God is is going to perform, what he will do if the people keep the covenant. Uh, the commandments or the terms which the people have to keep, right, in order to receive these blessings that will keep those promises. And then the warnings of what happens if, if the covenant is broken. So if they upheld their end of the deal, God was going to he was going to drive out the people before them and give them this land that was, that was rich, that was good, that was abundant. Verse 11, God says, you have to observe what I command, right? These aren't guidelines. These aren't suggestions. God's saying, you, you have to do these things that I'm, I'm laying out before you. And-, and-, and when you do that, you're going to be blown away by what I'm going to do for you as your God. So the conquest is, is conditioned on Israel's obedience to God. Verses 12 through 17 um, pretty much summarize chapters 21 through 23 that we went through. He's, he's, he's going over the, the, the book of the covenant again, the, the commandments, what you're supposed to do again, but, but really condensed. So he says this in verse 12. He says, Take care, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. So he says, Don't make don't make a covenant with these people, right? You can't make a covenant with them. You've made a covenant with me. You can't now do that with them. Just like it wouldn't make sense for a married person to to be involved romantically with someone else or even to marry someone else, right? God says, you're mine, I'm yours. You know, I will be your God and you'll be my people. God knows that that if they do that, this will be a snare to them, that that it will... um, it will trap them. And it might not seem like a big deal, but he's saying it's going to lead to false worship. It's going to lead to to your destruction. Like if you go down this road, it is not going to end well for you. And throughout the Old Testament, as you go on, we see that this happens over and over to Israel, right? They're, they're led astray by the cultures around them. They're influenced. They slowly compromise and give in. So as Christians today, a question that we, we have to ask is how, how do we live in the world but not be of the world? right We, we constantly need to be wrestling with this, and I, I know sometimes, especially as, as Christian parents, sometimes you see the world or maybe grandparents, you're looking around and, and you just think, "Man, it is getting so bad, so quick, and you just, you just maybe want to take your your kids and, or even just yourselves and go and hide out, but but that isn't. That isn't what God's called us to do. Israel was not supposed to compromise their relationship with God, but they weren't supposed to go and be secluded. They were supposed to be a nation that would be light to the nations around them. They were supposed to be a people that demonstrated how, how great Yahweh was, how great God was. So, so are we that? Right? Does my life make anyone at all consider who God is? To my words, do my actions the way I treat my kids or my wife, how I interact with neighbors, how I conduct my finances or business. Do, do any of these things, when people see them, make them want to know who God is? Does the life of a Christian point to a perishing world that there is the author of life, who is awesome, who is waiting, who wants to know you? So God wants them to worship him and him alone. And just like in a marriage, you know, the wife wants her husband to desire her and, and her alone. God says to Israel to destroy the so-called gods. Right? They, they'll mislead, they'll misdirect you, they'll misdirect your attention. And he says, I don't want to see those altars. I don't want to see any of that. Um, sorry, I just realized I didn't actually read verse 13. <laughs> he says, you shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down the ashram, and the is a goddess, that, uh, goddess of fertility. Um, so, so God's saying, you need to wipe all this stuff out. You, you need to take care of, of all this so you're not led astray, so that your devotion is to me and me alone. Verse 14 says, For you shall worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. And, and when we hear the word jealous, or we hear that God is jealous, um, for, for some of us, maybe all of us, that's, that's kind of a head-scratcher. Because we, we think about jealousy. Maybe you picture um, an, an, an insecure romantic partner or, or, or spouse. Um, but that isn't who God is. God is in no way insecure. Right? God doesn't feel better about himself because I love him. Right? If God had an Instagram, which he does not, obviously. If he had an Instagram, he wouldn't need me to hit like or whatever it is on there. I, I don't have Instagram anymore. But God is not, he's not like us. He's not needy like us. God isn't jealous out of insecurity. God's jealous. He's a jealous God because he demands a singular devotion from his people. Just like a spouse expects their spouse to be devoted to them and, and no other. Um, it'd be really strange if a spouse was okay with, with their husband or their wife flirting with someone else or, or involved with, with someone else. And the New Testament it, it describes the church as the, as the bride of Christ. Right, we're, we're to be committed to Jesus like a wife is committed to her husband. So I have pictures in my office um, of, my, of my family, my wife, my kids, Here's one picture that we'll bring up. This is my favorite picture of Lindsay. I just snapped it, snapped a, a shot of it on my... It's Well, it's not that great in the first place anyway because it was uh, 2001, so it's like point and click before everything, uh, before all digital. But that's Lindsay. It's on our honeymoon. She's given the hang loose sign. We're not surfers, but we were trying for that week. Well, actually, we didn't get on a surfboard. But um, she's given the hang loose sign. She's, she's got her latte there. And, and there's something about this picture that I just... I just love it, right? I, I probably, there are some days where I, I just stare at it during work, and I probably should get in trouble for that. But um, I just, I love th- this picture of my wife. Y- and you can, you can take it down now. Lindsay's not here. She doesn't even know I was going to show that. I hope it's okay. Um, we'll see if she listens later online, and she'll find out. Um, so, so I have pictures of her. I've got a couple others. i got pictures of, of my kiddos and a couple of former students, too. But what would be weird is if I had... Um, if I had pictures of, like, old girlfriends, right, in my office, that would be really not good, <laughs> okay? Um, and, and Lindsay would have every right, if she walked into my office and, and saw a picture of a girl I dated 20-plus years ago, to be really jealous, really concerned, like, what is this, Greg? Like, w- we all get that, that there's there's nothing strange about that, because... My wife expects that my devotion is to her and and to her alone. Uh, it's not crazy for for a spouse to feel jealousy like that, right? It's not crazy that that, that Christ expects his bride to be faithful to him and, and, and to him alone. And, and the picture continues on here, and it gets kind of crazy. Verse fifteen says, "Lest you make." a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. And when they whore after their gods and sacrifice their gods, and you are invited, you eat of this sacrifice, and you take of their daughters for your sons, and their daughters whore after the gods and make your sons whore after their gods. Man, you know whore was in the Bible. Man, if my kid came home and said that, I don't even know what I'd do. But here it is in Scripture. Right now, Hudson, he's five We're trying to get him to not say fart, like he just says it like crazy. So I look at this, I'm like, okay, this is this is better than that. Um, The other translations, instead of saying whore, they say prostitute, and while the meaning really isn't that different, as I read this, when God says they're whoring after these other gods, man, it elicits something in me. It tells me that that sin is a bigger deal than I want to make it. Right? And if God thinks sin is a bigger deal than I do, it seems like I would do better to have God's view than my own view. I have a friend that um, I, I barely know anything about what happened to him this week. I just heard that he died. I haven't seen him in a long, long time. We, we did ministry like 20 years ago together. He's, I think he's about 40 years old. And all I heard was that he was sick and went to the hospital and then died from complications at the hospital. And, and I don't know. I don't know if he went to the hospital realizing that he was about to die. My suspicion is that he just thought something was wrong, right? That he thought that, uh, that he needed some medicine or something to make him better. My guess is he had he had no clue he's about to die. And, and, and I just wonder: is our view of sin anything like that? Where we just think ah, it's not that big of a deal? When God's saying, "No, th- this is actually." This is deadly. So when he uses words like that, we we realize that that when our affections, our attention, our worship, our devotion is, is anywhere but on God, we're committing adultery against the Lord. John Piper, a pastor and author, he said, don't commit adultery against God. Don't let your heart turn from him and go after other things. For God, your husband, whose name is jealous, is a jealous God. And then, God follows up in, in the next verse. He says, You shall not make for yourself any gods of, of cast metal. And Obviously, that's exactly what, what they had just done. Right? They just made this covenant. Just agreed, God, we're your people. You are God. We're going to be faithful to you. And then within days, they, they've committed adultery uh, against God. So verses 18 through, through 26, God, God goes on. He, he said, hey, don't, don't do these things. And he says, do worship me in these ways. And he talks about the festivals and the Sabbaths. And Gary, uh, November 19th, he, he preached on this passage in Exodus 23. He did a great job of covering, uh, not covering, but explaining how the festivals, the Old Testament festivals, how they all pointed to Christ. I'm not going to do that today. If, if you want to hear that, go back and listen to that sermon. Because Gary did a great job Um, But I want to circle back now to the top of, of chapter 34, verse 1. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on top of the mountain. Verse 3, No one shall come up with you. And let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So these are the same instructions that Moses got before in Exodus 19 when he went up on the mountain to meet with God. And it was just Moses, right? Only Moses was allowed to go up. Only the mediator of of Israel, the person who represented God to the people and the people to God, only he could go up the mountain and, and meet with God. And Moses and we've said this over and over again, but Moses is, is, is such a good picture that points us to Christ. Moses reminds us, or he shows us glimpses of, of who Christ is, what Christ would be like. Because um, Israel, they, they weren't worthy at all to go before God. They needed a mediator. They needed Moses to go on their behalf, right, to, to advocate for them. When they sinned, it's Moses. Moses is the one advocating on behalf of the people to God. He's saying, don't, don't destroy them. God, will you be gracious with them? I love, in, in 1 John 2, 1, this won't be on the screen, I'm sorry, but it says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, right? Appreciation just means like satisf- satisfactory atonement, the satisfying atonement for our sins. And then he says, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So I, I absolutely love that, that Jesus is our advocate because just like Israel, I can't climb that mountain, right? Like I, I'm, I'm aware of my sin, and here's Jesus advocating for me. He says, this one, he, he's mine, my blood was a satisfactory payment for Greg's sin. I don't know about you, but uh, have you ever been like in an argument or heated exchange with someone, and, and it you get tongue-tied, and you kind of fumble in your words, um, and it just doesn't go the way you want it to, and you, you kind of felt like, like if there's a winner and a loser, you lost. Um, and then like hours later, if, if you're like me, you, you just keep going over it in your head over and over again. And, and then like hours later, you come up with the perfect response that would have just nailed them, right? Like if you could have said that, they would have realized what a fool they were, how, how great you were, that you're logical, all this, right? Jesus, he, he doesn't get tongue, tongue-tied as he advocates for us, right? Our advocate is perfect. He looks at us. He, he shows God that, that, that we've been paid for by the blood as we go on, um, as we go on through the read through this year, if you're doing the Bible read through, I encourage you, when you see Moses, look, look to how Moses points us to Jesus, how, how Moses is is uh, he foreshadows Jesus. Verse four uh, it says, "So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand the two tablets of stone. The Lord descended." In the cloud, and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. So, so God descends, and God descends onto the mountain. Mount, Moses climbs the mountain, but once he gets to the top of the mountain, he can't get any higher. Like God had to come down to him. God has to come to us. We, we cannot go to him. The statement that, that I have found Jesus or I've found God isn't really accurate um, because it's, it's God who's found us. If we have found God, it's because he's revealed himself to us. So if you've ever played um, hide-and-seek with a really little kid, you get this concept. So um, Maddie, she's three years old right now. She loves hide-and-seek, right? So she'll have me count, and then I come to find her, and she's like, Hiding behind like my cup or something like not a very good hiding spot. She doesn't get it yet, uh, or, or, or a blanket. She hides under there. I find her. It's fun. We giggle, and then she says something like, "Okay, again." So right, I have to go count, and I'll come back in the room, and she's in the exact same spot, right? So I'm like, "Okay, let's try this again." And boom, same spot. Like every time, she just thinks this is a dynamite spot, even though I find her every time. Well, eventually, she says to me, "Okay, you hide." right? And then she, she counts. Actually, she's kind of good at counting for three, but she eventually she starts making up numbers. Um, and then she comes to find me. Now, she's three years old. Like, Maddie is not going to find me if I don't want her to, right? If it's been one of those days and I'm, st- I'm just done, I could have a good half hour to myself before I feel bad, right? <laughs> um, so when Maddie... F- I don't do that. I say that to be funny. Um, so when Maddie, when we play the game, Maddie finds me because I want her to find me. I reveal myself. I make a noise, you know, when I'm in the closet eh, or hiding under something, uh, or, or I make a movement so that she sees something's behind that curtain, or, or I'm just hiding in pretty plain sight. Um, she finds me because I want her to find me, and, and the same is true with God or similar with God. We, we find God. Because he makes himself known. He, he reveals himself to us. And it's, it is his grace that he makes himself known to us. He, he chooses to show us who, who he is. So verse 5, he, he descends. It says that Moses stood in the cloud. And we don't have time to get into that. But just imagine what, what was that like? To be standing in, in God's presence is that, in that way as God has manifested himself. But then he says, and then he proclaimed, his name, the Lord, Yahweh. And, and, and Yahweh, it's, we talk about it being God's personal name, right? Like it, maybe there are people that know you by, by, by your, your name at work, but then there's buddies that knew you like 20 years ago, and they, they've got some other nickname for you, whatever it is, right? So my name's, last name is Goose Tree. So I grew up, everyone called me Goose, right? Um, even by the time I was in college, my professors all called me Goose. Um, but when I went to go apply for First Church, that I didn't say, call me Goose. right? Like that was, That's weird. Um, so God's, God shares his name here. It's, it's his personal name. It reveals, it expresses all that he is, all that he does. It certainly expresses the, the, the saving acts of, of God. So verse 6, let's get into this. It says, The Lord passes before him and, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So, so he, he says his name Yahweh uh, two times, suggesting that, that this relationship that he wants to have with his people. And then he says, merciful and, and, and gracious. And mercy is, is not getting what we deserve, right? Like, I mess something up, and I don't get the, the punishment I deserve, the consequences that, that I deserve, um, and grace is getting uh, what what we what we don't deserve. Um, let's not worry about that other projector. Um, we'll be fine at this point. <laughs> um, so grace is, grace is, is getting what, what we don't deserve, while well, mercy is not getting what we do deserve. And, and this covenant is clearly uh, a covenant that, that comes from, from God's mercy and His grace. The covenant proclaims that, that God is merciful to the repentant sinner, to those who will turn from sin and, and turn to follow God. And then it says that God is, he says He's slow to anger. And, and as we've read through the story, I don't know if it feels like that to you necessarily. I don't even know. Maybe it felt like that to Israel. I do think that Moses recognized how slow to anger God was. I think Moses was, was very aware as he had those the conversations with God about not destroying the people, about relenting, about, about extending grace and, and mercy to them. I think Moses was, was very aware that God was slow to anger. He had that perspective. I wonder if we realize how patient God is with us. Like, if God treated us as our sins deserved, we would be dead, right? It, just one day. If just one day He treated us as our sins deserved, how long would you last? Right? Some of you wouldn't make it out of bed, or some of us, I should say, wouldn't even make it out of bed. Um, let's keep going here. It says that God's abounding. Um, abounding in steadfast love, right? And it's this picture of overflowing, like, like a spring or, or, I don't know, a, v- a volcano, just overflowing with th- this steadfast, this unwavering love. And then it says in, in faithfulness, and certainly Israel had to understand his faithfulness. They just experienced recently, but, but even multiple times, they'd experienced the, the faithfulness of God. And it says in verse 7, keeping steadfast love for the thousands. So again, God highlights steadfast love. And he says forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sins. So, so why iniquity, transgressions, and sins, those all mean the same thing. They all essentially mean sin. So why, why is he saying that? Well, my guess is, well, actually I ripped off this guess from others, is um, that God's saying there's, there's no category of sin I do not forgive. Right, like you, you can't out sin my mercy and grace. Like I, all I ask is that you repent, that that you turn to me. Um, and then it says this. It says, But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation? So so which is it? Is it that he forgives sin or, or that he won't clear the guilty? And this is where we need to we need to have a picture of all of Scripture, right? To understand what's going on here, so so we don't just look at, at the little part, but we're trying to look at the whole. We look at the context within the passage, within the book, within New Testament, Old Testament, and then the, the whole uh, the whole of Scripture as well. Um, so so God clearly forgives repentant sinners. Um, that one quick example of this, book of Jonah. Jonah was a prophet. God told him, go to Nineveh and, and tell them that they're going to be destroyed, I think, in, in 40 days. Um, Jonah does not want to go. He doesn't want to go at all. I, I think um, growing up, I thought it's, it was because he was afraid. Jonah was not afraid. He didn't want these people to be forgiven, right? So eventually, you guys know the story, the fish swallows Jonah. He, he gets out, eventually goes to Nineveh, preaches, and the people realize, oh no, and they repent. And Jonah's ticked; he wanted them destroyed, right? And so Jonah pretty much quotes this verse here. He says, "I knew, I knew that you were a God that was merciful and gracious. I knew that if they repented, you would relent; that you wouldn't destroy them for their wickedness." All right? So, so when we see this, it's not a contradiction here. God, God is eager to forgive those who repent. And then, and then it says, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Um, I think it's pretty easy to misunderstand what, what's going on here. I know it's cold season right now. Tons of people uh, are getting cold. So if I had a cold, um, my daughter doesn't automatically sneeze because her dad has a cold right? She sneezes because eventually she gets my germs and, and, and gets a cold for herself. Okay, so, so my sins uh, m- my sins are, are passed down to, to my kids because they live with me, right? Case in point, uh, Maddie, the other day, she's in a public restroom with Lindsay. She wants to wash her hands all herself, and Lindsay points out there's not a stool in here, and Lindsay, or Maddie goes, dang it, no stool, and Lindsay's like, where'd you learn? Dang it, Daddy. <sighs> <laughs> so more is caught than taught, right? Parents, your kids are watching you. My kids are, are watching me. And so what do I want to pass on to my kids? What do I not want to pass on to my kids? What was passed on to you from your parents? How many, how many generations back did that go? Because our sin always impacts us, right? We like to believe that it, 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 it just affects us, but our sin, it never sticks to just us. It impacts, it impacts our kids, it impacts others, it impacts our church. The places that we aren't letting God refine will have ramifications beyond you. So this isn't talking about like some generational curse. God's clear that, that he punishes he punishes people for their their own sin right if, if if my kid is repentant he's not getting punished for for my sins if my kid has his own sins i mean which he does um he he has to stand before god with that right so we we uh we can't blame uh to quote calvin, not john calvin but calvin and hobbes um he He's, he blames bad genetic material for why he he is the way he is. Um, it, we can blame our parents a little bit, but at some point you 've got to own up to your own sin but what 's clear is is God forgives the repentant we 're going to end with this verse eight, and Matt why ban why don 't you just come right up um, so verse eight. Moses responds by bowing down. It says, Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and, and worshiped. And I just want to ask you two, two questions about bowing down. Um, one is, is, have you bowed your life down to God? Right? Like, like, have you humbled yourself and acknowledged, God, you are not like me? As I, as I read this description today, even without studying it, you're not like me. You're holy, and, and I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. There's a song that we're not going to sing today, but I love. It says, how do I dare approach this Holy One? Like God is so, he's so different from us. And just, just because you go to church or, or you do the Bible read-through, you teach Sunday school, that doesn't mean that you've placed your faith in Christ. It doesn't mean that you've, you've trusted Jesus to save you from your sin. Second question is, do you ever physically bow down to God? And for some of you, this is a conservative church. That's the, one of the weirdest questions I could have asked you. Sometimes I, I bow down before God on my own, like in my office. I don't, I don't know, maybe a couple times a month. Like I physically get down and I bow. And, and, and I'm usually silent for quite a while. And it's, it's interesting. I can't bow down without being pretty humble, right? And, and we know this, that our physical posture, um, it impacts others, right? Like if, I, if I'm talking to Cindy here and she's telling me a story and I'm like this, you know, She's gonna go. Wow! I must be boring, or Greg's mad, or something. Like it impacts others, but we also know that that our physical posture in, in, impacts us as well. And, and and as we come, as we worship God, like I, I wonder sometimes. Like that we sit here and we sing songs, and man, it, what is this saying to God? About how we how we feel, right? About about who He is and and who we are. And I'm not saying you gotta have hands up or whatever, but I'm also saying, like, let's. Let's not hold back because you're afraid of, of what someone else thinks. Or, or maybe, like, we just approach God and we're way too cavalier. We're going to sing. We, time for probably two songs. We've had to cut some stuff here. But we're going to sing a couple songs. I, I just encourage you to worship the Lord, to respond to God. Um, we don't have room to bow down in here. I get that. I'm not saying that. But, but in our hearts, like, are we bowed down to the Lord? Let me pray. God, we... Uh, We want to be a people that are about you, Lord. We want to be a people that that follow you, that that truly do worship you, God. You you are faithful. God. You abound in in steadfast love and faithfulness. You you pour out your mercy and grace. God, we could spend days together sharing about how you've shown us mercy, how you've shown us grace, how you've given us what we don't deserve and not given us what we do deserve. Lord, we be a people that worship you, God.